This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray Chapter 4 Two days later, about the middle of the forenoon, Duane dragged the two horses up the last ascent of an exceedingly rough trail, and found himself on top of the rim-rock, with a beautiful green valley at his feet, the yellow, sluggish Rio Grande, shining in the sun, and the great, wild, mountainous barren of Mexico stretching to the south. Duane had not fallen in with any travellers. He had taken the likeliest-looking trail he had come across. Where it had led him he had not the slightest idea, except that here was the river, and probably the enclosed valley was the retreat of some famous outlaw. No wonder outlaws were safe in that wild refuge. Duane had spent the last two days climbing the roughest and most difficult trail he had ever seen. From the looks of the descent he imagined the worst part of his travel was yet to come. Not improbably it was two thousand feet down to the river. The wedge-shaped valley, green with alfalfa and cottonwood, and nestling down amid the bare walls of yellow rock, was a delight and a relief to his tired eyes. Eager to get down to a level and to find a place to rest, Duane began the descent. The trail proved to be the kind that could not be descended slowly. He kept dodging rocks which his horses loosed behind him, and in a short time he reached the valley, entering at the apex of the wedge. A stream of clear water tumbled out of the rocks here, and most of it ran into irrigation ditches. His horses drank thirstily, and he drank with that fullness and gratefulness common to the desert traveller finding sweet water. Then he mounted and rode down the valley, wondering what would be his reception. The valley was much larger than it had appeared from the high elevation. Well watered, green with grass and tree, and farmed evidently by good hands, it gave Duane a considerable surprise. Horses and cattle were everywhere. Every clump of cottonwoods surrounded a small adobe house. Duane saw Mexicans working in the fields and horsemen going to and fro. Presently he passed a house bigger than the others, with a porch attached. A woman, young and pretty, he thought, watched him from a door. No one else appeared to notice him. Presently the trail widened into a road, and that into a kind of square lined by a number of adobe and log buildings of rudest structure. Within sight were horses, dogs, a couple of steers, Mexican women with children, and white men, all of whom appeared to be doing nothing. His advent created no interest until he rode up to the white men, who were lolling in the shade of a house. This place evidently was a store and saloon, and from the inside came a lazy hum of voices. As Duane reined to a halt, one of the loungers in the shade rose with a loud exclamation. "'Bust me if that ain't Luke's hoss!' The others accorded their interest, if not assent, by rising to advance toward Duane. "'How about it, Euchre? Ain't that Luke's bay?' queried the first man. "'Plain as your nose,' replied the fellow named Euchre. "'There ain't no doubt about it, then,' laughed another. 
for Bosomer's nose is sure plain on the landscape. These men lined up before Duane, and as he coolly regarded them, he thought they could have been recognized anywhere as desperados. The man called Bosomer, who had stepped forward, had a forbidding face which showed yellow eyes, an enormous nose, and a skin the color of dust, with a thatch of sandy hair. "'Stranger, who are you, and where in the hell did you get that bay hoss?' he demanded. His yellow eyes took in Stevens's horse, then the weapons hung on the saddle, and finally turned their glinting, hard light upward to Duane. Duane did not like the tone in which he had been addressed, and he remained silent. At least half his mind seemed busy with curious interest in regard to something that leaped inside him and made his breast feel tight. He recognized it as that strange emotion which had shot through him often of late, and which had decided him to go out to the meeting with Bain. Only now it was different, more powerful. "'Stranger, who are you?' asked another man, somewhat more civilly. "'My name's Duane,' replied Duane curtly. "'And how'd you come by the hoss?' Duane answered briefly, and his words were followed by a short silence, during which the men looked at him. Bossomer began to twist the ends of his beard. "'Reckon he's dead all right, and nobody'd have his horse and guns,' presently said Euchre. "'Mr. Duane,' began Bossomer in low, stinging tones, "'I happen to be Luke Stevens's side-partner.' Duane looked him over, from dusty, worn-out boots to his slouchy sombrero. That look seemed to inflame Bossomer. "'And I want the horses and them guns!' he shouted. "'You or anybody else can have them, for all I care. I just fetched them in. But the pack is mine,' replied Duane. "'And say, I befriended your pard. If you can't use a civil tongue, you better cinch it. Civil, ha ha! Rejoined the outlaw. I don't know you. How do we know you didn't plug Stevens and stole his hoss and just happened to stumble down here? You'll have to take my word. That's all," replied Duane sharply. "I ain't taking your word, Sevy. That, and I was Luke's part. With that, Bosmer wheeled and pushing his companions aside, he stamped into the saloon, where his voice broke out in a roar. Twain dismounted and threw his bridle. "'Stranger, Bossmer's sure hot-headed,' said the man Euchre. He did not appear unfriendly, nor were the others hostile. At this juncture several more outlaws crowded out of the door, and the one in the lead was a tall man of stalwart physique. His manner proclaimed him a leader. He had a long face, a flaming red beard, and clear, cold blue eyes that fixed in close scrutiny upon Duane. He was not a Texan. In truth, Duane did not recognize one of these outlaws as native to his state. "'I'm Bland,' said the tall man authoritatively. "'Who are you, and what are you doing here?' Duane looked at Bland as he had at the others. This outlaw chief appeared to be reasonable if he was not courteous. Duane told his story again, this time a little more in detail. "'I believe you,' replied Bland at once. "'Think I know when a fellow is lying.' 
I reckon you're on the right trail, put in Euchre. That about Luke wantin' his boots took off, that satisfies me. Luke had a mortal dread of dying with his boots on. At this sally the chief and his men laughed. You said Duane. Buck Duane? queried Bland. Are you a son of that Duane who was a gunfighter some years back? Yes, replied Duane. Never met him. Glad I didn't, said Bland, with a grim humor. So you got in trouble and had to go on the dodge? What kind of trouble? Had a fight. Fight? You mean gunplay? questioned Bland. He seemed eager, curious, speculative. Yes, it ended in gunplay, I'm sorry to say, answered Duane. Guess I needn't ask the son of Duane if he killed his man went on Bland ironically. Well, I'm sorry you bucked against trouble in my camp, but as it is, I guess you'd be wise to make yourself scarce. Do you mean I'm politely told to move on? asked Duane quietly. Not exactly that, said Bland, as if irritated. If this isn't a free place, there isn't one on earth. Every man is equal here. Do you want to join my band? No, I don't. Well, even if you did, I imagine that wouldn't stop Bossomer. He's an ugly fellow. He's one of the few gunmen I've met who wants to kill somebody all the time. Most men like that are four flushes. But Bossomer's all one color, and that's red. Merely for your own sake, I advise you to hit the trail. Thanks. But if that's all, I'll stay, returned Duane. Even as he spoke, he felt that he did not know himself. Bossomer appeared at the door, pushing men who tried to detain him, and as he jumped clear of a last-reaching hand, he uttered a snarl like an angry dog. Manifestly, the short while he had spent inside the saloon had been devoted to drinking and talking himself into a frenzy. Bland and the other outlaws quickly moved aside, letting Duane stand alone. When Bosmer saw Duane standing motionless and watchful, a strange change passed quickly in him. He halted in his tracks, and as he did that, the men who had followed him out piled over one another in their hurry to get to one side. Duane saw all the swift action, felt intuitively the meaning of it, and in Bosmer's sudden change of front. The outlaw was keen, and he had expected a shrinking or at least a frightened antagonist. Duane knew he was neither. He felt like iron, and yet thrill after thrill ran through him. It was almost as if this situation had been one long familiar to him. Somehow he understood this yellow-eyed Bossomer. The outlaw had come out to kill him, and now, though somewhat checked by the stand of a stranger, he still meant to kill. Like so many desperados of his ilk, he was victim of a passion to kill for the sake of killing. Duane divined that no sudden animosity was driving Bossomer. It was just his chance. In that moment murder would have been joy to him. Very likely he had forgotten his pretext for a quarrel. Very probably his faculties were absorbed in conjecture as to Duane's possibilities. But he did not speak a word. He remained motionless for a long moment his eyes pale and steady, his right hand like a claw. 
That instant gave Duane a power to read in his enemy's eyes the thought that preceded action. But Duane did not want to kill another man. Still, he would have to fight, and he decided to cripple Bossimer. When Bossimer's hand moved, Duane's gun was spouting fire. Two shots only, both from Duane's gun, and the outlaw fell with his right arm shattered. Bossmer cursed harshly and floundered in the dust, trying to reach the gun with his left hand. His comrades, however, seeing that Duane would not kill unless forced, closed in upon Bossimer and prevented any further madness on his part. End of chapter.